Mac Folklore Radio, read by Derek. I'm afraid I have some bad news. I've kept this podcast ad-free since the beginning. Unfortunately, times have become rather tough, but I've secured some funding, so you need not worry. I'm happy to introduce MFR's sponsor for the month of April, starting the first, the Mac Zone. Get 20% off a GCC Technologies 45 megabyte external SCSI hard drive, just $7.99. Order now, 45 megabytes. That's almost 50. Fax your order to the Mac Zone today, 1 800 258 0882. The Mac Zone. Macworld, April 1989. The Iconoclast by Stephen Levy. Introducing the first Mac clone. The daunting words, it can't be done, are sometimes perversely provocative. All too often, that forbidding phrase generates a chorus of echoes and becomes a law unto itself. At times, though, people regard those words as a gauntlet thrown at their feet, a glove flicked sharply against their cheek, a rebuke that must be addressed. It can be done, they vow, and they do not slumber soundly until they do it. Split the atom, circumnavigate the globe, cure polio, harness electricity, shrink a mainframe computer to one on a personal scale, or in this case, manufacture a low-cost, lawsuit-proof, better-than-the-original Macintosh workalike. Yes, a new era of Macintosh computing has begun, and this nascent golden age is occurring without any assistance from Apple Computer. Getting the Scoop Surprised? Not nearly as much as I was recently when I received, in short order, not one, but two overnight dispatches from a well-known PR firm. Both requested my presence at a New York hotel room at a certain date and hour, and both were stuffed with those onerous non-disclosure forms binding me to complete silence about what I had seen until a time my handlers deemed propitious. I sent the forms back, with a note explaining that I could not take a vow of silence until I had some idea of what I wasn't supposed to talk about. Then a big cheese from the firm called, asking me to lunch. Fine, I said, so long as I could name the place. So at Grand Central Station's Oyster Bar, I learned that mysterious industry mavens had designated this column as the exclusive source of information on their new product, but only if I would sign the forms and keep my mouth shut during the period between when I saw the product and the publication date of our April issue. Knowing that this PR firm had extensive dealings with a certain Pacific Northwest software concern, I tried to ferret out the information with no obligation on my part. What's Microsoft up to? I asked. Another stab at desktop publishing? It's not Microsoft, the big cheese answered. Well, maybe it is. They're involved, but it's not their product. You're not even close. Then the power luncher glanced nervously around us. Look, you idiot, she whispered testily. I'm giving you an exclusive on the Macintosh clone. Are you going to sign or should we call Dvorak? I signed. Gates of Eden A week later, I was knocking on the door of a plaza suite. 
It was opened by none other than Microsoft Chairman Bill Gates. Hi, come on in, he said. As usual, he was bouncing around with nervous, almost impatient creative energy. Spread around the suite were a bunch of guys in black suits. I mentioned that I didn't know any of those fellows, and Gates shrugged. It's not super important for you to know everyone here. These two are lawyers, he motioned. This one's a security guard. A couple are hardware guys from the manufacturer. Who is the manufacturer? I asked. We'll get to that, Gates said. First, look at this. He led me to a desk covered with a white sheet. On a signal from Gates, one of the suited men pulled the sheet. There stood a metallic blue piece of technology the size of a Mac bottom hard disk, but perhaps twice as high. It had a floppy disk slot on the right. On the left, where a logo might be, someone had stuck a piece of first aid tape. But as I reached for it, the security guard caught my hand. I knew he was a guard thanks to his aviator sunglasses. All in good time, said Gates, rummaging around in a large box. He pulled out a sleek one-button mouse, which he plugged into the right side of the machine. There's a slot on the left side, too, for southpaws, he noted. Then he pulled out a keyboard that looked like the deluxe Apple keyboard, fondly dubbed the barge by its adherents, but thankfully less wide. ADB compatible, of course, Gates said. Apple keyboards work off the shelf with this machine. You won't use Apple's, though. We don't make you pay extra for ours. He reached into the box and pulled out a compact monitor with a 12-inch display. He placed it on the main unit, then grabbed a cord from the box and plugged the monitor into the back of the unit. He typed something on the keyboard. Personalized password, he noted, and the screen came to life. It was a very sharp monochrome display of almost cinematic quality. It said, Welcome to Apple Killer. Gates flushed, then smiled sheepishly. A couple of the suits, obviously the lawyers, began to make choking noises. Well, of course, that's not what you'll see in the release version, Gates admitted. I think one of our programmers got a little rambunctious. By then, we had heard the familiar hard disk were and the screen showed the familiar Macintosh desktop, complete with menu bar, folders, and trash can. Legal Matters How can you get away with that? I demanded. That's exactly the Mac interface. Let me explain what's in here, Gates said. Just as companies have managed to make work-alike versions of IBM's PC-DOS, our programmers, on contract from the manufacturer, have created a ROM that acts just like the Macintosh version. We were careful not to use any programmers who had ever worked with the Mac. It was super tough finding hackers who had never cracked open inside Macintosh, but we finally figured out where to find them. They worked for certain Fortune 100 companies that forbade their programmers to go near Apple products. We lured these guys away, and they've been working for years to make sure this machine acts just like a Macintosh does when it sees Macintosh software. We don't run into legal trouble because the software is Apple software. The system, the finder, and so on. We don't include that with the computer, but the users will get it from the applications they buy, or they'll buy it from Apple in those upgrade kits they sell for $50 and distribute to user groups. That's ingenious, I conceded. But what happens if Apple changes its ROM chips? 
Apple can't change them too much, or it makes all its current computers obsolete. But considering how Apple loves to reorganize, we figure that's inevitable anyway. Unlike all those Macintoshes, though, our computer won't require dealer servicing to put in a new ROM. We'll just supply a new one, and the owner can snap open the case and replace the chip. I paused for a moment, puzzled. Snap open the case? Gates was way ahead of me. He shut the machine off, moved the monitor, and unsnapped something in the back of the computer. The case opened, and all the innards were revealed. We used a lot of VLSI to keep the size down, Gates said, launching an inspection of the electronics. This is that snap-on ROM I mentioned. We have works on this ROM chip here, and as soon as it's ready, real soon now, we'll put Word 4 in, too. Here are the memory chips. We come with 4 megabytes standard. Here's the 68030 chip. This machine runs about twice as fast as a Mac 2X. And this is a one-third height hard disk, 60 megs. Here's a slot for a card, though you probably won't need one. We've built in a 2400 baud modem, and this chip here allows you to send or receive directly from fax machines. See, here's the fax connector in the back, right next to the built-in MIDI port. Actually, it was a disappointment that we didn't have a 9600 baud modem and cellular telephone technology, but the manufacturer had a mandate to keep the price, with monitor, below $1,000. We just couldn't include the modem and keep the price down. A Dream Price What? I said. Are you telling me the configuration I'm looking at, that works like a Macintosh but with a more powerful chip, more memory, fax technology, and a built-in modem, costs $1,000? Oh, no! Gates said. Not this configuration. This configuration is $800. The $1,000 version comes with that. One of the suits carried over a slightly bulkier monitor, which Gates plugged into the back of the machine. When he turned the unit on, the Apple Killer screen came up again, only this time in crisp, bright color. I was stunned. How could you do this? Basically, our profit margins are lower, and we shopped wisely. Take the memory chips. You'd think it'd be hard to get plenty of DRAM chips at low cost, but we just called up the suppliers that Steve Jobs lined up for his next machine. Jobs' machine was so late that the suppliers were sitting with loads of chips, and they almost begged us to take the things off their hands. I was speechless. I have to admit that even with the price like this, we're worried, said Gates. We might be wrong. Price might not be a factor at all. Look what's happening out there. Right now, you can buy a Mac Plus for a street price of about $1,000 less than a Mac SE. Everybody knows that there's almost no difference to the user between a Plus and an SE, yet people keep buying SEs, even after Apple got greedy and raised the price. Maybe people like to get ripped off when they buy Apple computers. It's something we've had to think about. Yet. The company that commissioned us to design this thing has studied the clone phenomenon very carefully, and they conclude that there will be a market for a superior Macintosh workalike at a significantly lower cost. Am I blue? I couldn't stand the suspense. What is this company? Gates smiled and said nothing. The men in suits smiled smugly. 
Suddenly, I lurched for the machine, grabbing at the piece of tape covering the logo. One of the suits tried to stop me, but I had already pulled off the tape, revealing a familiar blue three-letter monogram. I would have told you eventually, said Gates, but now you know. Well, I know, but I still find it hard to believe. A dream Macintosh at a dream price. This whole thing seems too good to be true. Just tell me this. Before I spill the story to my readers, is this going to be another vapor product? A tease? A hoax? Can you give me a firm shipping date? I asked. Gates smiled. He walked over to a television, flicked it on, and pushed a button on a VCR. Just look at our ad, which will run on all three networks, selected independent stations, and with heavy rotation on MTV for a week beforehand. The commercial shows scruffy people in jeans lining up in an orchard, with some sort of New Age music playing in the background. A scruffy youth is sitting behind a table at the head of the line, handing out apples, the fruit. Each person takes an apple and then walks off a cliff. The camera pans to the rear of this line. At first we see only one or two people wearing suits. Then we notice more. The camera cuts back to the head of the line where a pair of guys in suits now man the table. As they give out apples, they demand people's wallets before the short walk to the cliff. The New Age music becomes deafening. Suddenly, from the distance, comes a phalanx of Charlie Chaplin lookalikes wearing running shoes and carrying copies of Ted Nelson's Computer Lib book. They throw the books at the guys behind the table, literally upsetting the apple cart. Everybody dances. The screen goes black, and these words appear. 1989 won't be like 1984 anymore. The screen goes black again. A voiceover, is it Martin Sheen? Ominously finishes, IBM's Mac clone. Shipping April 1st.